Hello, hello, this is Pete from Box Office 30. I wanted to tell you all about something exciting I'm working on and invite you to be a part of it. Recently, I started a little online business selling comic books and other collectibles on the Whatnot platform. It's called Pete's Comics and Collectibles. Apt name, right? What is Whatnot, you may be asking yourself? Well, it's kind of a weird blend between Twitch and eBay. You can find all sorts of great collectibles, both modern and vintage. There's tons of different categories you can follow, and what you do is join live shows that the sellers are putting on, and you can see what they're selling, and chat with them in real time, chat with others in real time, and place bids on items that you might be interested in. Really cool, really fun, and if you win, the items are shipped directly to you. Couldn't be easier. And if you join using my link, you'll actually receive $10 to use in the app. So sign up now at whatnot.com slash invite slash Pete's Comics to get your $10. And that's coincidentally the name of my channel, Pete's Comics. So whether you're a new user or somebody who's been using Whatnot for a while, I'd love for you to come check out my stream. I sell lots of fun stuff, lots of old comics, lots of new comics, lots of other stuff coming up. Maybe some baseball cards, Magic the Gathering, who knows? Again, that's Pete's Comics on the Whatnot app. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is Box Office 30. 30. Welcome to Box Office 30 for March 1993. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. And I literally finished watching this movie about 12 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Right under the wire there. You bet. Well, that's all right. Um, Well, we're going to actually just kind of dive right into things uh, here this month with our segment, New and New to You.
right, Mike, uh, you want to lead off here? Sure. So I have two off the top of my head. Um, I believe it or not, I just watched Creed for the first time. Oh, the first one. Yeah. Is that like an anticipation of the second one? Well, well, now that the third one just came out. Third one, I guess. Third one. Yeah. See, I think I forgot there was a second Uh, one. You know what it was? I was just like sitting there and and it like popped up on HBO Max. And I was like, ooh, I think I'm going to watch this. (laughs) And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's really good. It is really good. It does feel a lot like a rehashing of of Rocky one in in a lot of ways, you know, but, you know, spoilers for who hasn't seen it yet. You know, other than they threw in the, you know, Rocky gets cancer and essentially beats cancer, I guess, in, 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 the, in the movie. But um, it's good. I thought, you know, him and, and Michael B. Jordan work well together. Uh, it makes me now want to watch the second one where, where Dolph Lundgren and Dolph Lundgren's or, or, or Ivan Drago's right. son. You know, I was trying to remember what one. the plot of it was. Yeah, it was that. <laughs> yeah, the, the fir- the I mean, fir- yeah, they really are following like the first movies. Like, you know, I guess it's just a way of like, you know, the formula, you know. Bringing in a new generation, as it were. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the the guy. What is his name? Tommy Gunn. That yes. He he fights like in like in the fifth movie, fourth or fifth movie. Yes. You know, I feel like it borrows like that, but does a better job of it. Like where he has like a new apprentice, but like this one doesn't turn out to be a total tool. You know? Yes. <laughs> what, what I really appreciated with this movie, in particular, was the music because they were able to blend some elements of the Rocky music plus newer music plus hip hop and even stuff like um, uh, Tupac was in there and just really interesting collection of music. I thought that um, Michael B. Jordan and um, what's her name that plays Valkyrie in, in, in Oh, um, she's shoot, also in, like in uh, she, she plays the bad guy in, in Westworld as well. Yeah, I know um, who you mean. I just can't think of what her name is. I'm just now. her name, but she's they're they're fantastic together. Uh, I really really enjoyed the movie. So that was my first one. Um, do you want me to just do all of mine, or do you want to go back and forth? No, that's fine. The one last thing I'd say on that movie before you jump off, you know, um, I can't remember if that came first or Black Panther came first. This uh, was because first. that's also a Ryan Coogler movie. This is first. And- this this then. Uh, Black Panther, then Creed two. That's that's yeah, the order yeah, yeah. of movies. Yeah, I, I was gonna say because I, I, you know, like I think he's become a much more household name these days from the Black Panther movies. But um, he did a hell of a job directing that one too. And so yes. I, you know, I, I'm gonna like keep on my eye on the lookout for more of his stuff because you know, while Black Panther is fun, and you know, it is what it is, part of the Marvel universe it is like he he's got kind of a cool aesthetic to him so i'm curious to see what else he does agreed and because it won all the awards (laughs) i finally saw everything everywhere all at once (laughs) and wow i was you had you had two movies that like i've been like pounding you over the head to watch and it was that that you'll that you'll mention shortly here yes um but yeah no uh, you know we're we're recording this now post oscars and everything everywhere all at once took home most of them yes (laughs) um you know uh with also uh brendan fraser our guy brendan fraser actually taken home uh for the whale which was pretty cool and i have not seen that yet i really do need to, but I have not um, had the the chance to see it just yet. But I also don't yeah, know. Was, 
you have to mentally prepare yourself for like two and a half hours of just crying from that. I movie. think so. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a stressful one, but um, yeah, everything everywhere. Uh, it, it's, it's out there, right. But it's like, it's so fun, you know, it's, but it, it's, and I think this is really even, they, they sort of structured it this way that it's almost three movies in one uh-huh, in the, way, yeah. the way the arc of the character goes. And it starts off very much like, neo in the matrix or like jet lee's the one and then it kind of evolves into this other thing you know in a way like limitless and in, in, in a sense but it's just there's so much to it that we could take two hours and just dissect that oh movie. no totally i mean i i think there's also a, a version of it where you either take it at face value or you take it at like when she's in the middle of the um tax uh like irs sort of thing that she's just essentially having like a mental breakdown you know what i mean and like all this stuff is happening in her head you know so because when you get to the end of the movie it's essentially like where it started off you know resolving those threads and like the multiverse part of it is kind of gone from the equation then um like really interesting movie fascinating movie super fun visual effects my understanding and I should have probably read deeper into this before trying to speak intelligently about it. I can. I think the entire effects team is like five people. So it was the it was mainly five people. It was a total of really eight people fully involved in it um, at a budget of twenty five million, which is pretty cheap for you know a, for what you get. Yeah, <laughs> for what you get and a rock solid cast as well. It probably you know cost a little bit. Um, what's interesting about this movie is it was shot in thirty days, and what I learned was. It, on the 29th day, COVID shutdown hit. Oh, wow. And they had this pause production for six months and then come back for like a day and a half to finish up the last <laughs> of the movie, which That's is so great. crazy. Um, Get you with the fun facts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went a little bit deep diving after I watched it. I was like, because I, I went into this movie refusing to even see the trailer. I wanted no, I wanted to know nothing about it. Yeah. And I came and I came out being like, fantastic. Um, I like the world with the hot dog hands. <laughs> yes, it's very very strange. <laughs> but there's certain like little Easter eggs throughout. You're like, I know that's going to come up again, or this is going to come yeah, up again. And you're yeah. just like, wow. Um, I was really blown away by that movie. But I have to wrap up my new and new to me with the unbearable weight of massive talent. <laughs> <laughs> what a film what a movie like i was happy watching that movie and then i was happy again when you told me you had just watched it <laughs> i was happy for you it and what's been wonderful so for me amazing. is and i can't remember i think it was slightly before you had seen it you've been sending me like meme after meme um on instagram yeah, there's essentially like a meme if if you're unfamiliar with it out there in listener land where it's uh, the two main characters driving like in a car and it's like Nick Cage making this like really kind of a grieved face and then Pedro Pascal making this like wonderful like over the top <laughs> happy face and it's just it's so wonderful and Mike has found like umpteen different versions of memes that people have created off this and he keeps sending and sending them to me and I'm like, keep them coming. <laughs> it's, it's so wonderful. So I was sending them before I even saw the movie, not knowing that when I saw the movie, it's they're actually tripping on LSD, which makes yes. it even funnier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just amazing. I was just 
floored by that movie. I really, really loved it. I was blown away. And that's uh, those are my three new and new to me. How about you? So you, funny enough, had a light month, too. Yeah. You know, I started trying to look through my list and figure out what I saw. And I was like, gosh, like somehow I didn't see a lot of new movies in March. I watched a lot of older stuff that I'm not going to bother mentioning. But as far as the new stuff, um, it's taken me six months to watch it. But I finally finished uh, 3000 Years of Longing. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, I had started it like a long time ago. Uh, maybe not quite six months, but like a while back now I had started it and the first like 20 ish minutes of the movie, like really captured my imagination. I was like, Whoa, this seems like it's going to be really cool. Uh, and it's a George Miller movie. Um, you know, those of you um, out there maybe know him more recently from Mad Max Fury road. Uh, and if not that maybe babe pig in the city. Um, but, uh, he essentially, um, I was like, you know, I'm on board for that. He did some really kind of cool stuff with fury road. And like, as you're watching the movie, I'd say maybe the first half is like really, really compelling. And then when it gets into like the back half, it kind of starts going downhill and it's sort of a bummer because, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess um, it's essentially Tilda Swinton um, is giving a talk in Turkey. She's like a like a intellectual and she's giving a talk in Turkey with her like partner on like gods and um, sort of like immortal creatures and how in the past we had to rely on those to explain the world around us. And now in this day, it, it's almost like um I felt like they were kind of like giving a little nod to like um, Unbreakable. Like they were sort of talking about like, well, these are our gods now, superheroes and all this sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And they only touch on that that once and they don't kind of come back to it. But like she's starting to see over the course of like the time leading up to this talk, like jinns, like like genie type creatures. Um, And it's like really creepy. Like while she's giving the talk in the auditorium, there's like this one that starts off in the back. And every time she kind of like looks away, it's getting like closer and closer. And then like you can tell it's mad about what she's saying mm-hmm. about like gods being inconsequential and everything now. But she's kind of like staring it in the face and sort of keeps on going. And so it, eventually uh, she finds a little like trinket glass vase in like a, a market. And then like the guy that she's with is like, oh, let me get you something nicer than that. And she's like, no, I really like this one. It's charming. And she gets it back to her room and she's cleaning it. And a gin comes out and that, you know, you know, is then the rest of the movie is like the gin wants her to, to make wishes because if she doesn't make wishes, like it'll like damn his soul or something like that. But he spends a lot of the time trying to convince her because she's like very, like she's very much a skeptic. So she's like, I'm not going to just take this at face value. Every story I've ever read about, you know, genies granting wishes ends in like, you know, disaster. Um, so he starts like explaining his past to her and like the 3000 years of longing has to do with how he became imprisoned as a genie. Like he had a love for like this, like untouchable, um, I guess she was like a goddess that he shouldn't have had. And so the God that was with her, like punished him by making him a, like a gin in the bottle. Hmm. And so he's telling like how throughout time he keeps like falling for human women and they keep falling for him and it keeps ending up in, like catastrophe essentially like over and over and like the stories are cool, especially like the time jumps over time, but, um, and it's very visceral. It's very, um, George Miller in, in like in the visuals. 
Okay. But all of a sudden there comes a point in the plot where she's no longer um uh like acting like oh you're trying to trick me and she like instead just like falls head over heels for him and there's kind of such an abrupt moment when that happens it just doesn't make sense and from that moment on the movie's just awful (laughs) it just ends like on a stupid note and it's just like like it was like so much positive lead up for such a, a like flub in the end so yeah they they dropped it at the at the one yard line i'm sad to say that sucks. um i also saw sea beast which is something that um is a netflix uh animated children's movie um that uh, zoe has been wanting to watch and we finally got around to watching it and i i did not realize that the main character is carl urban and i'm always there for carl urban <laughs> Um, like I said to my wife, even I was like, she always thinks I've got some like man crush on Eric Bana. The reality is I have a man crush on Carl Urban and I will watch anything that that guy puts out. <laughs> and I just had no clue it was him in it. So um, it was fine. It was good. Um, the visuals were really cool. Um, so uh, worth a watch, uh, especially if you have like uh, not a young kid, but like an older kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of one of these things where they're like monster hunters and like via like him and like this other character he meets they end up kind of befriending like the ultimate monster that everybody's trying to hunt down and uh, so i don't know it's kind of got a a cool sort of weird otherworldly tale um where the monster sea is full of these massive monsters that they gotta like hunt to keep the trading lanes open so i don't know it's kind of cool that's cool but for the most part for me this has been a month of uh of tv and so some good tv this month yeah and i'm not gonna like like spend too much time on them but i just wanted to point out that like if you haven't seen it last of us is amazing i think i mentioned it um probably last month's episode but it was just kind of starting out then it's finished now um if you've played the game it it does so much tribute in my mind to the game they get so much rights probably the best video game adaptation I've ever come across, which is kind of a low bar. I'm sad (laughs) to say, but this like really knocked it out of the park. Um, You know, they made little changes here and there and they took some liberties, but I think they were all interesting and and, like really well um, done. I know some people on the internet disagree with that vehemently, um, but uh, you know, that's how a lot of these things go. Um, Mando's back. uh, And I have to say, um, I love the direction they're going in this season because, you know, I, I sort of was left a little wishy-washy after the second season and by proxy season 2.5 a la um, Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. um, where they spent two whole seasons trying to get Grogu to Luke only for him to immediately come back. And I was like, God, I hope that's not going to like torpedo it. That does. It still doesn't make sense to me. It's like it, it kind of doesn't. But. I in a way I almost like wish that he hadn't run into like Luke and things now because it is fun the pairing of the two of them and now that Grogu has sort of had a little bit of training and he's using it it's kind of neat and he's getting so ready to say his first words and I guarantee his first words are going to be this is the way he (laughs) almost said it (laughs) like uh, either last episode or the one before I can't remember which Um, but another like episode of TV and I don't know did you see the the third episode yet? I haven't yet. No. So I'm not going to spoil it for you, but um, it kind of takes an interesting fork in the road that you're not expecting and and sort of derivates off of what you think it's going to be for a while. And it's really torn the Internet apart. There's a lot of people that were like, why did you do this? And then there's others that are like, this is the best hour 
of Star Wars in a while. And I'm like firmly in that second camp. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a really cool story. And it brought me back in my mind to the roots of why the Mandalorian felt like an awesome show to begin with, which is that it has nothing to do with established characters that we love and want to keep seeing, which is something that the Mandalorian has etched out for itself. Like when that show was announced, yeah, he had like the Mandalorian outfit. He looked like Boba Fett, but we had no basis for like how this character was going to be. It was a brand new story. And did this, did this character exist in, in the books at all? No, no, this is, this is a wholly original um, creation. And I'm sure that they are. I mean, he has a comic book series, which is essentially a retelling of, yeah. of the first season. Um, but I'm sure he's going to be incorporated into books and things going forward now. But um, to, again, to not get into spoiler territory, hopefully too much for you. Third episode is not really about Mando and Grogu. It's about another character from the first season and a little bit, the second season of Mandalorian. And it's, It's I mean, maybe it's like sounds pretentious to say this, but it felt so deep. It felt like a Terry Gilliam directed episode of of Star Wars. It was really cool where it went. Um, It was really heartbreaking where it went. And I'm so interested to see what episode four brings now, because they really like really, really threw like a U-turn in in where you maybe thought this season was going. And I think where it's ultimately going to end up. Um, and I, I really love what they're doing. So I'm, I'm super duper fanboying out. And I just wish that we would see more stuff like this. Uh, I don't remember if I mentioned last month. I also, at some point, uh, either last month or this month, finished Andor. And when I say finished Andor, I mean started and then like just shot straight through Andor because I tried to start watching Andor a while back. And I was like, really kind of ho-hum on the first few episodes. Right? I, I couldn't get through the first episode. But like, all of a sudden, once it starts going, it starts going and it's like, oh God, now this is like really compelling and I really like it. Um, and then it ends and you're like, damn it. <laughs> um, and this had a feeling, this new episode of how the latter episodes of Andor felt to me. So um, yeah, so that's the other thing. And then the final one I'll mention before we we keep going here um is i watched the netflix um golf documentary full swing now oh, yeah. i don't know if you've seen um like the formula 1 documentary they have they sort of have like created like you know like espn has like 30 for 30 yes. um they've sort of created without a name like that like this sort of netflix odd sport maybe not odd sport but like not everyday sport documentary sort of mm. series like template. <laughs> and I get the impression that this is kind of how a lot of their stuff goes. I know that they have another one I just saw for tennis. Um, and essentially, I, I'm curious to go back to the Formula One one and finish that one out. But with the golf one, they're they're following in each episode, like one or two. Like kind of mainstream golfers at the moment. Mm. And what it served to do was let me know how little I know about what's going on in professional golf right now. <laughs> so from that perspective, it was really interesting because there's kind of like been like this huge shakeup um, 
where the PGA is being very threatened by this oh, um, the, uh, the, LIV, uh, yeah. the Live League, which is like essentially, not to get into the politics of this, but it's... The, uh, either Saudi Arabia or... Well, it is, Arab, yeah. And it, it specifically is like the portion of that government that like is responsible for like that um, Amal Kagoshi, like the journalist being killed mm-hmm. and everything. So, and it was like right around when that happened that this was becoming a thing. And like, it was sort of like... PGA is super duper threatened by it because they're paying these like players that are sort of closer to the end of their career, but they're big names like this, like astronomical amount of money to just to come and show up there and play at their things. So the PGA was banning people that have, you know, played with them for years and years. And it was just like a whole rigmarole. And so of course there's also this like, you know, ethical quandary, you know, where it's like, oh, you're accepting $6 million to go play with them. But these people like, you know, like just killed this journalist and this and that. And they kept putting, not the documentary, the documentary was very vanilla on this topic. They just sort of presented it as it, as it happened. But like, you know, journalists at like press conferences kept saying like, are you joining live? You know, are you, how do you feel accepting like this money from this sort of thing? And, you know, they never had like a good response. It was always essentially in the line of like, I made a good business decision for my family and you have to respect that, you mm-hmm. know, and they just kind of wouldn't touch on it. Um, you know, they're like, it's more complicated than that. Uh, but it's about these like young golfers. And like the problem I had with the series overall is that it never came back to talk about anybody again. It was sort of like, let's say there was like 13 ish episodes. I don't remember exactly. 10 ish episodes, whatever. Um, like the first episode is about two guys and then we never hear about them again. The second episode is about a guy and we never hear about him again. And it's like, it was driving me crazy because I was sort of hoping over the arc of the documentary that they would sort of touch back on these people as they were going throughout the year. And it just kind of never did. So oh. it was, it was like a, it was like a wet your palate and like, and I do have to say, and it's a, apparently a complaint about people who are into golf is that it was like really dumbing down explaining stuff for like somebody that was coming into this, like knowing not a thing about golf, like here's what par means. Here's what Mm. this means, you know, like sort of stuff. So in a way it's welcoming. And I think that that's their goal. I think they're trying to get new viewership into the sport of golf. Cause honestly, I think there's a little bit of a trend, you know, a transition at this point. Like there's not a lot of young people who are terribly, interested in it and i think that's part of like you know the thing is they might be trying to get people to to kind of pay attention to the pga again so i don't know maybe the pga put some money into this documentary getting created but it was a little vanilla for my taste after everything was said and done i wish they had kind of like cycled back and and kind of told some more compelling stories about these people across the entire arc Hmm. of the season rather than just like these like one episode like it was like it was like a taste test like of of each person yeah exactly so it was a little like Meh. And I'm hoping that the Formula One is not like that, although that one has six seasons in. So cool. they've presumably had more time to dive into these other folks. So I'll let you know maybe next month if I uh, get back to this one. But that's going to do it for me for our uh, for our new and new to you. How about we dive into our box office 30 segment for March 1993?
Okay, welcome to March 93. I feel like the list is a lot less recognizable this month, surprisingly, because I feel like we've got good stuff behind and good stuff ahead. This one was like a little like ho-hum, but again, more on that in a minute. I like Number one from March. Cl- I wrote that uh, you wrote clicky. I would have put clickety. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to leave this in, too, because uh, I should change it to clickety. I should change it to clickety clackety because that's that's been your uh, saying forever. But that clicky has been in there probably like the majority of this podcast. Like <laughs> I'm happening. just noticing We're it We're at episode 64 now and you're just noticing. I mean, I think you've forgotten it because in the past you've sort of like mentioned like oh you put a thing that says to click the link and like i was like i knew that and i'm like no i just put it clicky um but yeah that that clicky is there in every show notes that i've probably ever written for this show (laughs) but right now right now live i'm gonna change it to clickety (laughs) so so there you go um and i might even i might even just throw clackety in there too (laughs) i dig it um I dig it. It doesn't like how I spelled clackety. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> back to back to our number one for March. Uh, number one is falling down with a March gross of twenty nine point six million dollars. Uh, in the number two spot is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, which I actually thought had like a Secret of the Ooze sort of subtitle, but nope, no, it doesn't. Nope. <laughs> with twenty three million dollars. And in the number three spot is the Crying Game with twenty one million in earnings. Um, it, that must be because they probably re released it for uh, Oscar season and everything. And I think we had discussed that, yeah, because uh, at the end of um, the episode last month, I was considering putting that in the poll, and I was like, "Why is this here?" Because it was a November movie. Yeah. But I think you you hit the nail on the head both times. Uh, that that's probably what it was showed back up for. Uh, thanks as usual to everyone who voted in our listener poll. Thanks for the retro network for sharing it. It wasn't much of a fair fight, but there were still actually a surprisingly decent number of votes for our runner up. And the results are as follows with 20.8% of the vote. And again, probably not surprisingly TMNT three and with 79.2% of the vote falling down, making it our featured film for tonight, 24 total votes. So thank you to those voters that, Voted on our poll. Um, we will have another poll uh, for this next month. I've got the the ideas to pitch for those actually ready to go at the end of the uh, episode this month. Um, so let's take a look at our list um, because we won't be talking about it tonight. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Now, we did a full review episode on TMNT uh, 2 with our friend Luke. Um but where did you fall on this movie as a kid? Where, like, where were you? Because I, I know I've talked in the past. Like, I was a big Turtles kid. Was this um, like a draw for you? Did you see this in the theater? I definitely saw it in the theater. I do remember it being uh, subpar in comparison to, <laughs> to the previous ones. This is the time travel one, right? Where they go back correct. Over, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. They essentially find it's like a lantern, I guess, and like. Something about the lantern. I think if you flip the thing in the middle upside down, it like transports them and in in like a really unique way, it transports them like for like. So like I think April is the first one to go through. She she messes it up somehow. And so it like changes her body with like this. I don't know if he's a samurai or like whoever the guy is that that comes forward into the future. So there's sort of like a dual plot happening with like Casey Jones babysitting the people in the future. And then the turtles use it to go back 
and it swaps them with four like horseback riding samurai and those right. samurai show up in New York and it's like them trying to to deal with a like the, like essentially like the Europeans are like like bringing cannons to like Japan and like teaching them to like use that in like war and like they got to like help April and they got to find a way to get back to the future and meanwhile Casey Jones is having like antics and sues like you know, bringing the samurai around modern day New York and, you know, trying to keep like a keep them wrangled. Um, and subpar is the word you use. And I would say it's subpar. Um, I enjoyed it for my part as a kid, but um, it didn't feel as good a movie as the other two, as you said. And I know it's essentially largely universally panned by <laughs> by most people, which is why I do say I wasn't surprised terribly that it didn't end up higher in our poll, but I, I figured I'd throw it in there for good measure because you never know when like a, a group of turtle heads are going to come uh, out of the woodwork and, and, and vote it up like we had with TMNT too. So um, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure if you, are interested, Adam will put it in the Wizards Patreon at some point and we'll talk about it then and, and there you go. You know, it'll 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 come up somewhere in, in the in the distant future. Um so the next one down is is uh is Fire in the Sky, which is that like alien abduction movie, I think. And yeah. uh I, I just remember the trailer of it and like the guy like standing under the light. I never saw it. I don't know any more about it other than what I just said. <laughs> I mean, as much as you could possibly base it on a true story, my recollection is it's supposed to be somewhat of a biopic. Like it's supposed to be, yeah, I'm trying to read again. I think it's, it's like, it's based off of like a person's book about, I think they're describing how like they were or like a friend and future brother-in-law. I just got to read this cast. So DB Sweeney, Robert Patrick, Peter Berg, these are the main characters in this movie. <laughs> like they're all pretty good. Like, you know, James Garner, <laughs> James. Yeah. James Garner. Another good one. Like it's a decent cast in here for a movie that, you know, relatively was sort of from what I hear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to know more about the draw of this movie because you would think that like a movie that's, you know, not like a science type of like movie or, you know, something that's like got like a draw because it's sort of science fictiony that it, it, it's almost like a biopic type mm-hmm. take on like being abducted would do 16 million in business, you right. know, like kind of a little surprising, you know. Uh, but again, like maybe it was starting to be a, a slow month, but I don't know. There must have been something more to it. Why this movie did as well as it did at, at the time. Yeah. Uh, because it, it strikes me as something that wouldn't even do well on like the A&E channel these days. Yeah, you know? um, coming in at number seven on the list is Point of No Return, which is a Bridget Fonda movie. Um, a, I don't think I've a, seen this. So essentially, it's a remake of La Femme Nikita, but Americanized. Um, That's interesting. It's I like the movie. I think it's pretty good. It's a, you know. I remember the trailer of her diving into like a uh, a laundry chute as like the building is blowing up behind her and she's just like <laughs> sliding down a laundry chute while everything's on fire. Um, but beyond that, I don't remember much about the movie. And uh, yeah, but it was meant to be a remake of La Femme Nikita. Interesting. 
Yeah, I can see it. Like when I'm reading the description here, it's like it's it definitely like comes over there. Although um, I don't know when I guess it's probably a little later than this. They I remember um, USA. I think I remember you saying you liked it. They did like a uh, La Femme Nikita TV show, TV which, series, which is a great show. Yes. Uh, yeah. But like when I mentioned that to other people and that I used to like watching that, they're like, you shouldn't admit that in public. <laughs> and I was like, what? I remember it being a really good show. I like that. Um, wasn't the main character um, like her handler on that, Michael? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> His name is your name, too. Um, name next on the list is a movie called CB4. And I will say I don't recognize this, but it says a guy makes a documentary of the rap band, which I've never heard too many rap groups called bands. CB4 by following them. CB4 got popular by stealing Gusto's name, background and image. He wants them dead. It's, you got anything for this one? Yes, it's a Chris Rock movie. Um, I think it's supposed to be loosely based off of Eze e from uh, um, from NWA, but you know, not exactly, or or almost like a satire of that time, that time in in hip hop and and like and rap and so on and so forth. But but it's it's one of Chris Rock's early movies and. Um, he plays the main character. All right. Uh, number 10 on our list is a movie called Mad Dog and Glory. <laughs> you know, I've in a way I already feel like we're somehow into the uh, Miramax movies. Um, this is when shy, soft spoken Chicago detective Wayne, Mad Dog Dobby, inadvertently saves the life of a local gangster Frank Milo. He's the reluctant recipient of an unusual one week thank you gift, a beautiful bartender named Glory. Okay, that doesn't sound like <laughs> like it would uh, hold so up. The, the, the cast is De Niro, Uma Thurman, and Bill Murray. And I remember my mother and father getting this on VHS for like a rental. And um, I don't know if they liked it or if they, if they finished it. The poster looks somewhat familiar, but yeah, I feel like I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> Interesting. Uma. All right. Um, I mean, honestly, like, let me ask you, because like, you know, we're at like number 12 on the list here. Like, do any of the movies like here oh, to the end of the list even stand out to you? Yes. So okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll rifle through the next several. So 13 is uh, Amos and Andrew. I heard of it. Don't know anything about it. 17 is best of the best two. Uh, I remember seeing this a lot on HBO. It's another, like, one of those martial arts type movies. Uh, 18 is Born Yesterday. I have no idea. But 19, <laughs> I'm shocked you don't know this movie. Swing Kids. Swing Kids. A group of teens adores forbidden music in Nazi Germany just before the outbreak of World War II. We yeah, that sounds this. exactly like something I would watch, right? <laughs> like, oh, because well, I guess this is like a Christian Bale thing. <laughs> we watched this in high school, really, in world history class, because they said it was very accurate to the time. They like American big band jazz, and it's it's starring um, Christian Bale and uh, what is this? What is what is Robert Sean Leonard in? Um, What's that movie called? Uh, like, no, second. Here's your first edit. Um, I mean, just clicking him quickly, it shows Dead Poet Society. 
There's another movie though. Much Ado About Nothing. Another one. Um, when I think of it, I'm gonna be like, "Oh, that movie." <laughs> I mean, he's all. He was also in House. Um, I can't remember what the movie was in the '90s that he's like the main character in. Doesn't matter. I guess it's whatever. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a bad movie. <laughs> but it's basically like a like a almost like a musical in a way in a way. So that's yeah. That's um, like swing kids. There you <laughs> go. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm gonna run through a few more of these then really quickly. So 26, we have a movie called Hear No Evil. I don't recognize it. Uh, 27, Rich in Love, 30, Shadow of the Wolf, 31, Married to It, 33, Howard's End. Sounds familiar. So Howard's End, again, I think this was a um, a re-release because it was up for a bunch of Oscars. Um, and I don't know much about it other than, I know, like, Emma Thompson was in it. It's some sort of English movie. It's it feels like a Miramax. Kind of movie, <laughs> well, speaking of, we have two of those as the next two spots on the list. Number thirty four and thirty five: The Opposite Sex and How to Live with Them. And Ethan from Frome. Um, oh, they both look yeah. like they could be. I mean, they're they're. I guess they're both American, you know, movies. They don't necessarily look like foreign movies, but um, I don't know. <laughs> Not much to them. Yeah. Um, after that, we have a movie called 5050, uh, the stolen children. And finally, all the way down at the bottom of the list, making only $3,500 in one theater is when the party's over. And I guess I'll read this one. Three women and a gay man in their twenties share a house in Los Angeles, boyfriends and a kid brother come and go. (laughs) I swear. It's like when, when, you're at the bottom of this list. Whoever they get to write these these taglines is just like it's abysmal. <laughs> it's really it bad. It's a boyfriends Sandra and Bullock a kid, movie. brother cover come and go. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks like Sandy Bullock there. Um, but yeah, I guess it doesn't uh, doesn't do much, unfortunately. So, like I said, kind of a meh list this month. Maybe one of our most meh lists ever. I feel like. But, but it's funny because like as we're gonna get closer to May and June. 93 it gets insane nuts it gets insane yeah no i was because um Ange asked me last uh last week like what's coming up on the roster and i was like there's a lot coming up in the the following months and i was trying to figure out like what one we might be doing come june or july or august and i'm having a hard time guessing because if we do polls for them like i really don't know how some of them are going to fall because there's some big 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 time movies coming along so Again, maybe this is the calm before the storm, so we might end up with a little bit of a shorter episode tonight, but um, yeah, that's our list. All right, why don't we take a look at the review of Falling Down? Okay, Falling Down is a 1993 American satirical black comedy film directed by Joel Schumacher, written by Eb Rowe Smith, I guess is how you say that person's name, and released by Warner Brothers in the United States on February 26th, 1993. So it just eked out at the end of last month and made it to the top of the list on this month. Film stars Michael Douglas in the lead role of William Foster, a.k.a. Bill Foster, a.k.a. D. Fens, which is my 
partner in crimes uh, moniker for uh, for the uh, episode here tonight. Uh, a divorced and unemployed former defense engineer. The film centers on Foster as he treks on foot across the city of Los Angeles, trying to reach the house of his estranged ex-wife in time for his daughter's birthday. Along the way, a series of encounters, both trivial and provocative, causes him to react with increasing violence and make sardonic observations on life, poverty, the economy, and commercialism. Robert Duvall co-stars as Martin Pendergast, an aging Los Angeles Police Department sergeant on the day of his retirement, of course, who faces his own frustrations even as he tracks down Foster. The movie had an opening weekend gross of $5 million, went on to make $96 million against this $25 million budget, making it a commercial and critical success. So uh, let's dive in on this puppy. Um, what's your what's your kind of immediate thoughts on on this? Because especially since you uh, only just finished it, uh, all, you know, 50-ish, 60-ish minutes ago. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I can't, for the life of me, wrap my head around Joel Schumacher makes <laughs> movies like this, Flatliners, uh, he makes Phone Booth, he makes, you know, uh, there's so many other, like, he makes, you know, A Time to Kill, he makes the number 23, and then he makes Batman Forever and <laughs> Batman and Robin. And I started thinking about it in a deep dive in my own brain, and I said to myself, he's really great at small movies. When you give him yeah. something big, he can't go big without going too big. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, you know, I think those Batman movies are a perfect storm of what came before expectations of where they were going. And again, we mentioned this uh, (laughs) over in the Batman review, um, McDonald's getting into the whole mix and messing things up. Um, That was the that we did that for 90 Super Cinema, right? Yeah, for the Patreon. So let me give you a pitch. So those folks out there who are wondering what I'm talking about, if uh, if you do not listen to Michael's other podcast, Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, go check it out. It's definitely a fun podcast. Uh, Delves very much into comics in the 90s. Uh, And if you're a member of the Patreon, you can listen to 90s Super Cinema, which is a podcast um, specifically done for those patrons. um, And I think we'll eventually be finding its way um, over to us here when we get to those movies in time. So when we get around to when uh, Batman Forever comes out, we'll, if we're still doing this, we'll throw it up on on our (laughs) feed at that point. And if we're not still doing this, I might just throw it up on there anyway for kicks. But um, anyway, we just did a, a review over there, but I think that movie is, is bootstrapped by them going, you know what? We need to get something a little closer to like the Batman 66 TV series and do something kind of goofy and schlocky. And so I think it became this weird amalgam that's like half trying to be a little bit dark like the first two Batman movies and half trying to be a little bit light like the Batman 66. It just doesn't work. You know what I mean? And and I think it's just a, a victim of that. I I don't know how much of that you can lay like completely on Joel Schumacher. I think most people do. Um, but I think it's also just like, you know, the studio stepping in and being like, no, it has to be this. Um, I, I think of some of those other movies that you listed of Joel Schumacher's, there's some kind of like dingers in there as well, as far as I'm concerned. So I think he's honestly, in my mind, a hit or miss director. I think sometimes he does an awesome job and the movie comes out really good. 
And sometimes he does kind of a shit job and it kind of comes out a little weird, you know? Um, so funny enough, like this movie, and I've seen this a couple times before, but not in a while. It, it and phone booth could be the same movie or phone booth could be its, its direct successor or um, like a sequel to it in a way. They're, they're so similar in how they are. It's surprising. Um, I saw phone booth the one time in the theater while I was in college and I've never seen it again. <laughs> really? I really like yeah. that. I, I actually really like that movie. I think it's one of uh, um, Colin Farrell's best roles aside from Penguin, which I think is he's brilliant. Um, but, you know, this movie, I, I like it, but I also didn't like it. There, there's a lot of plot holes to it that I don't really follow all that well. Um, I don't, as much as I love Robert Duvall, I don't think he was the right casting for uh, the role, the aging cop. Um, I well, let's did, talk about him for yeah. a minute. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you have these two characters and Robert Duvall kind of gets hooked into the thing relatively quickly. I think I thought it was going to focus more on, um, I think her name's Diane, the female officer detective. Yes. Um, but uh, it ends up kind of being a little bit more about him. And of course, like, you know, it, you have like, like I sort of mentioned, like this is a bit of a black comedy. So it's a little bit satirical in how it um, approaches the world, um, the world, like, yeah. the characters. And at moments, this movie is very serious. And at moments, it's kind of like poking fun at like the genres that it's sort of looking at. Uh, and I think it's kind of poking fun at like the world at that time and sort of some of like the social issues it was facing. But among one of the things that it's doing, like the goofy thing, <laughs> you know, it's like probably the third or fourth movie you and I have talked about like this year alone um, that does the like, oh, it's a cop that's too old for this shit and is about to retire. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody just keeps borrowing right off lethal weapons. So um, but even I still thought it was interesting. They made that choice. Um, but I thought it was kind of cool how they played it with him, where everybody like was sort of saying to him, like, it's, you know, like they were almost playing into it. They're like, it's your last day. Like, don't do anything dangerous today. And like, he's kind of ignoring that and getting into this guy who's sort of like getting more and more and more violent as he's mm -hmm. trekking, you know, across the city. For me, I actually thought he was a good fit. So, um, well, here's why I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, the the pieces of the story with his wife at home, I did not care about at all. <laughs> they, they could have taken that completely out of the movie and I wouldn't, it wouldn't. hundred percent. Yeah. And especially when you meet her at the end and she turns out to be like batshit crazy. Yeah. I was like, what is this? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't add anything to the story. It, it doesn't make me care about him anymore. Um, I would have almost liked it if he was, you know, a widowed cop and, you know, because basically his daughter died uh, suddenly. He kind of leads it to maybe his wife killed her <laughs> toward the end. Like, Well, no, I mean, he basically well, says well, it's like she has like SIDS, like like it's like the sudden infant death. Syndrome. Yes, but, but he says she's two years old and she was hardy and she was big. But and that can happen in real life. So, I mean, like, it's not like impossible for that to happen. So uh, he sort of says that he's like, it's not the norm. It, like, you know, sure. But. Uh, but I get where you're what you're saying with that. And I do agree with that with that point. Like, you know, 
one of the odd things about that character, and it's not necessarily about him himself, but sort of how the the rest of the force or like his captains like sort of like perceive him, that they kind of like think of him as like sort of being like like weak and like a wuss because he like doesn't stand up to his wife. Doesn't but curse. like in the meantime, yeah. he's kind of like one of the hard nosed est yeah. uh detectives that we're introduced to. You know yeah. what I mean? So like it kind of doesn't add up and like his overall captain, like you know, unique way. I've never seen another movie kind of do this with a character, so I gotta give them that. Like the guy like had like no clue who he was. Like he was trying to be like, How's your kid? And he's like dead, and like, like, how's this? And he like, you know, like he just all his information was like wrong. You could just tell he like tried to get like some base info and it was like 10 years out of date or whatever <laughs> and what's weird about it is like you know the, co- the the captain acts as if he doesn't know him at all but then later on in the movie treats him like like a piece of garbage because he won't curse and he thinks something's like it didn't make sense like that there was there's something missing in this maybe that was cut out that i couldn't understand where their relationship honestly was. i think it was just so they could have that final thing in the tail end of the movie yes <laughs> where, where he's just in, like fuck you <laughs> yeah and in the end of the movie he tells off his captain on on live television in front yeah. of all the press um and it's it's a good closing bookend of that part of the thing um the female police officer i really like her i thought she had more to do in this movie than she actually did She's sort of like his girl Friday in a way, kind of just like, you know, she's the younger cop going out. And I couldn't figure out what their relationship was. Did they have an affair at some point? You know, were they partners? I couldn't figure out what their connection was. It almost was. felt like they should have been or were partners, but she kept going off with somebody else at different yeah. points. So yeah, I don't know. It was a little a little not obvious. So, yeah. Um, And then, you know. Before we get to Michael Douglas's character, I want to talk about his wife's character. Uh, you know, so throughout the whole movie, he's calling her and sort of harassing her on the phone and and like you know threatening that he's going to come home. She calls the cops a couple of times. The cops come to the house, but yet she stays at the house. <laughs> so you're oh, you're mirroring oh. exactly what Ange said because she's like she's like at which one of these phone calls. And especially the cops blowing you off, aren't you like, you know what? I'm going to get the hell out of Dodge. And on top of that, when you do finally leave, don't walk a block away to the pier. To your favorite place that your spot. Husband knows is your favorite spot or whatever. Like, maybe you're like, get in a car and go. Go. Like, just <laughs> go somewhere. Get out of yeah, town. I, I will say that there's definitely like plot holes in this movie and stuff that doesn't really 100% make sense. But that's, yeah. I think, kind of. But you know what it felt like? Like the, the kitschy end of this movie, yeah, yeah. It felt like they didn't know how to end the movie. And they yeah. sort of shoehorned that sort of, like, Well, this movie, this movie feels like somebody saying to somebody else, like, hey, I just had this idea for a movie. It's about this guy who's kind of disgruntled, and he's stuck in traffic, and he's, he wants to go visit his ex-wife and his daughter, and then like this happens and then this happens. And like, that's essentially what this movie is yeah. in a nutshell. And it's odd because it treads the line between being like really good and really compelling um, and also being kind of schlocky because yeah. like, you know, it it feels so over the top at times. And then at other times it feels very sincere Real. and yeah. like, you know, and it's just interesting. And I think one of the most interesting things about me and the arc of this movie, and especially the character of Defense, which is what we know him as for 
we don't know him as anything for most of the movie outside of just like he got out of this car with that with that license plate and eventually they fill in his name's bill and they eventually fill in that like his you know his married name is foster and then you know um even duval starts calling him defense at a point uh, and then he's credited, which I thought was interesting in the credits, uh, not as that. William Foster, but as defense, which was kind of cool. Um, but, uh, you know, you start the movie off really feeling for this guy. You're like, all right, he's the everyman. And like, you know, I could understand him being pissed off and like, yeah, you know, like, like tell off that guy for charging too much in the place. And, you know, tell off those guys for giving you shit about sitting on their like dumb wall. And you're like, you kind of with him. But then as you're starting to get later into the movie and he's starting to make these like, you know, crazier and crazier choices, especially in the stuff where he's harassing his wife and like calling her up and essentially like, like it it almost doesn't add up. Like what he's like, you know, like dealing with like the um, Nazi, uh, you know, surplus army store guy, you're still kind of rooting for him. Like, all right, you know, kill this guy. The guy's an asshole. But like at the same time, he like, finishes that scene up and calls his wife and is like essentially like oh you know like like he's essentially like threatening to kill her and i'm like yeah his it's like he's almost got like a dual sense. personality yeah yes it 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 doesn't make sense in, in the sense that like he's most of the movie he genuinely like misses his wife misses his daughter and then after he kills that that guy well he makes a, he says a line that i'm at the point of no return yeah which, which is and he which it's is, increasingly cross like essentially like and again, we could probably spend time to sit and talk about each individual thing, but it starts off like, all right, he leaves his car in traffic. That's like the most minuscule thing he could do. Then he, you know, doesn't rob the guy, but he like smashes up a bunch of guys. Yeah. Then he attacks the two guys. Then he ends up shooting the 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 guy in the leg. And, and so he just keeps upping the ante of like, you know, he's breaking more and more and more laws. He eventually holds up a restaurant, even though he then does he, end up paying them, you know, like he fires um, a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was like, it was so wonderful. Uh, what a great scene. Um, but, you know, he just keeps up anting, upping the ante. But then what's great, and I, I think it's kind of like a fun way that they ended this movie is he's like wait a minute i'm the bad guy like when did that happen you know what i mean and it's like it's kind of interesting because we talk very often in movies you know like things come to mind like the dark knight right like the famous line from that like you know you either like a hero live long enough to become the villain exactly you know and it's sort of like this this type of um trope that we see but it's it's put sort of on front street where he's like you know, like evil people don't see themselves as evil. They see themselves doing the right thing for them for their reasons and they justify it however they justify well, it. And, and that's and he's not like seeing Lex himself Luthor, as evil. He's looking at his wife as somebody who's taken his daughter away and who has kind of ruined a portion of his life. And he's looking at the world as really having screwed him over. His job has screwed him over. I think that's the one thing that I thought was interesting that we never did touch on. And this is where I'd be curious if there was some kind of deleted scene or something is we find out that he's not been going to work for a month, that he was let go from his defense contractor job. And his mother, who he's living with, even says, like, well, where's he been going for the last month? He takes his lunch with him. And we never get that insight. And I'm like, I'm almost curious to see like some portion of this movie where he either admits to or we get some backstory that like he started this day off not in traffic, but like having gone postal like at his 
job or something, you know, like, you know, like we don't ever find out like what it was that like incited the fact that he lost his job otherwise than the fact that he's clearly like a nutcase. But I'd love to see what happened that like made that happen. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a large portion of this character's motivations and his arc that we don't see. And we sort of hear about it two thirds into the movie through the mother telling him that he was, you know, worked at this job. And then we find out that, he, that from the other police officer that he was fired over a month ago. And I knew he was fired when he gave the homeless guy his briefcase and he opened it. It just had a sandwich and an apple in it. So it's like, he's just carried this because he's, he's, his mind is broken and he just, this is what he did every single day. He had this briefcase and that whole thing. Now, speaking of the mother, this bothered me because the mother, first of all, looked a lot like Robert Duvall's wife, and was <laughs> also see that, yeah, <laughs> and also came off as a little bit crazy too. Like th- th- those two characters are almost the same character: Robert Duvall's wife and um, Michael Douglas's mother, or Defense's mother. And I started thinking because because the mother even says that she is who he blames for the fact that he got a divorce. And I almost wonder if his mother, who may be mentally ill, drove him crazy that that caused him to be the way he is, which hence gets him fired, gets him divorced, gets him with this psychotic rage waves that he goes through. But there's just, there's through lines that aren't connected there. And I think that's my take on the mother. I, I get the impression and there's not a lot leading into this impression, but it's just kind of like a, like a takeaway that I had, you know, there's sort of like, I think Robert Duvall is like walking around her house and sort of looking at some of the stuff around the house. And you can almost tell that like, essentially it's, it seems like her, she had a husband and he was in like the military. And I don't know that they were like outright making it out that, you know, there was some kind of like abusive relationship going on there, but you could kind of see like she was very like fragile and fearful and she had like her like weird little collection of her little creatures and and things like that. And I almost get the impression that defense maybe got like a like an angry or violent streak from his father or something. It, that was kind of like my take from it. And again, I, I'm not basing that on much, except they just sort of like were showing these odd little bits of things around the house that didn't need to be shown otherwise. And that's, that's kind of, I guess where I'm coming in from it from, because she was terrified of him. She's like, please don't tell him I said this because you know, he scares me when he says this and this and whatever, you know, she seems very fearful of him. Even when they went into his bedroom, like she couldn't get, couldn't get them out of the bedroom fast enough. Yeah. She didn't want to like touch anything and make it out of place or whatever. It it gave me the, the vibes of a serial killer and the relationship with their mother kind of thing. But but again, I think that's what's neat is like the way we get this character is it's not who we think it is at first. You know what I mean? Like when we first meet him, we don't think like, oh, this guy is clearly like a nut job serial killer going to stalk and and kill his wife. Because, you know, I I think there's differing opinions on if he was going to ultimately like kidnap and kill his wife and daughter or just like kidnap the daughter, kill his wife. You know, like what he was ultimately going to do with them at the end of the movie when he does find them. 
I think in my mind, he was going to take the daughter and, and kill the wife. He was just mad so at, at everybody. And at that point, like he said in the thing, he's like, he's, he's crossed the line. And now like, you know, she's ruined his life. Anybody that's ruined his life is going to get it, you know, yeah. sort of thing. Um, but then uh, like another kind of interesting character flip is then when he's in the house watching the playback of like the, like the homemade videos, which you can see he's extremely controlling, you know, he's making the daughter get on like the rocking horse, even though she doesn't want to, he's making the wife do things she doesn't want to. Everybody looks upset and frightened of him. And he's seeing himself in that home video for who he is mm-hmm. and almost like realizing like, I'm not like a good person here too. So it's, it's a really interesting like character um, examination that I don't feel like we get in these type of movies. Usually it's a more one dimensional, like this person's insane and they're going to like stalk and, and kill yeah. everybody or this person is normal, but then they break and go nuts. Like there's kind of not like that nuanced in between. And I think that's why this movie sticks out for people and sticks out in people's minds because it kind of does it different than anything I can really think of um that i've seen at least i would agree yeah like it's it is a unique sort of character uh analysis of of you know basically in a way he's almost looking inside of himself but he also makes a lot of you know references to being like a real american or like you know he speaks of freedom of speech and freedom of expression and he he has this sort of skewed look on the world and and I think it may be something to do with the way he was brought up. We don't know. We yeah. don't know what his origin story is. We just basically we find him on the worst moment of his life, essentially, is when his, his brain snapped. Or actually we don't even know. We find him actually after the worst moment of his life, after he gets <laughs> fired, essentially, and we don't know what drives him. And you know, you wonder if maybe like the, the heat got to him because it starts off it's a hot day. Well, that's what it is. Traffic. Yeah, I think the traffic and the people around him in the traffic were like the very last straw. Yeah. You know, like I think he's already like emotionally distraught. And and again, like that's why I'm so curious. Like, I'd love to know what he was doing for that month. Like, where was he going? All day? He going why is he everything? in the traffic? Like, where is he? You know, like I could almost see him going and sitting in the parking lot of his work and like, just like, like stalking the people going in and out of there all day and just sort of yeah. stewing over how mad that he got fired, but he's watching them still go in and out. He's sitting there eating his, his sandwich and apple, you know? Did you think when he goes on the golf course and he's walking up that, that <laughs> hole that he was going that to might find be my favorite one, <laughs> but, but I thought he was going up that golf course to get his boss because when he's at the, like the, hamburger place he says you know i'm ca- I'm calling you guys by your first names we've just met i worked yeah. with my boss for seven years and i still call him sir like <laughs> i almost thought this was the the payoff for that moment where he was going to find his boss and kill his boss for firing I, my take on it is i didn't have that which is an interesting perspective i didn't think that but Essentially, the way I'm looking at it is that he's at point A and he's heading towards point B in Venice and he's making a like a straight line. And he's yeah. just going to like, like, you know, essentially, like as with every like thing he has to overcome, he's just going to bull through it. Like, yeah. you know, like it's as the shortest a direct and violent yeah. way. Yeah. And I think that's what it, it 
you know, essentially ends up being. I think like the golf course is in the way and therefore he's going to cut across it. And then he gets to that rich guy's house, which is over the wall from the golf course. And he's going to cut through there. And I think and I think at that point in the movie, he also has a sense that the police are starting to get close to him because he's starting to hear them. Yeah, the sirens are getting louder in, in, in the background and they're getting closer each time. So I think it's also like him trying to take like weird routes to get away with that because he changes his outfit and he's, you know, he's doing different things. But I, I honest to goodness, I can't get away from discussing for a minute that golf scene because it was it was maybe my laugh out loudest, funniest part of the movie, because I just love these two goofy guys and like they like completely shtick golf outfits with the little like pom-pom on the beanie and everything, you know, like all the, the checkery plaid sort of stuff and him complaining. It feels like a scene out of Caddyshack, you yes. know, with the guy like having this over the top reaction in four, four and he hits the golf ball. And he's like, did you just try to kill me with a golf ball? And then like when the guy, when he starts essentially having a heart attack and his pills, as we can see off in the distance are sinking into the lake because the, the little uh, cart has gone down he shoots the the cart with a shotgun, which somehow makes it have like a reaction yeah. and go down the hill. Um, and I just love him like talking down to the guy because the guy's like dying on the ground with a heart attack. He's like, well, now you're going to die, asshole. <laughs> it's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You're going to regret it because you're going to die on the ground. Like, look, we're wearing that outfit. You know, like, yes. it was like I was I was just dying laughing at how he was like yelling at this poor man who's dying of a heart attack on the course now. Oh my God. That was, that was for me, the point of no return. Cause he just like, you could tell he had just gone manic at that point. Yeah. Um, He'd gone as far as he could go. And you know, the other thing they say about him, let me, let's talk. What did you think of Michael Douglas in this role? I really liked him. Um, I did feel bizarrely this is very meta like i was watching the young michael douglas a la like the age <laughs> um reversal that they did in the original ant-man movie i'm like wow look at him he looks really young there and i'm like i wonder if they were using falling down as like um you know like sort of like deep fake material or something to help them with their um with like you know like making him look younger uh in that movie but uh i really liked him i thought he had a good look for who this character ultimately is and was and who this, you know, like kind of like that, like cropped military cut, like he works for the defense you know, department, sort of probably has like a military father kind of thing. I thought he had a good look for that. And then I really liked how he goes from like playing it like this mild mannered Clark Kent sort of guy in the beginning to just this like batshit crazy, like stalker, militant, dark. like lunatic he got dark he got very serial killer like towards the end and i think that he was able to portray all of that really well like i didn't really have any moment where i was like getting taken out of it by a performance thing i thought i thought he like really was able to keep flipping the coin onto like who that personality was depending on what he was running into so you know and like like another really great version of that like is that scene right after the golf thing where he runs into that family who's at the rich guy's house and he like grabs the little girl by the hand and he's, he's, you know, like telling them like, no, 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 no. And he's like, going, and then he like realizes that he's got this little girl by the hand. He's like, Oh my God, like I, I didn't hurt you. I didn't hurt you. know, like, and you can see he's got like this, like almost like, like a dual sort of flip. Yeah. That like, you know, he's probably had 
he's probably bipolar or yeah. or has Mad, some kind of like of some sort. Yeah, some sort of like personality break where he's you know like you can tell like he sort of almost sees like his daughter in her and he's like he has feelings for that like he's almost getting mad at himself watching that home video at the end yeah. for how he's treating the daughter you know what i mean so i think there's like one part of him that like is like able to go off the handle like that just like bang and then i think there's another part of him that's just a, a trying to be a decent guy so it's a really interesting character in that respect and i think i think michael douglas plays that really well so I, I agree with all those points. The only problem I have with this movie is they say that he's a man in his 30s. He was 48 when he made this movie. And he looks older than 30s. Yeah, I don't buy 30s. Um, I, I did think of him as having a younger wife. Mm-hmm. Um, did they mention that in the movie or is that just something that you found elsewhere i can't remember if they that was say in it or they not. say in the movies they're looking for a white man mid to late 30s in a suit in a, in a shirt a white shirt and tie yeah and, no i definitely don't um i don't agree with that i he like i just said he looks surprisingly young for what i know you know michael douglas to look like because you know one of my favorite movies of all time of his is the game Mm-hmm. Um, and he certainly doesn't look this young in that, you know, so I mean, that's kind of where I base a lot of like, what do I think of as Michael Douglas? Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. It, it struck me that it was almost like he was playing like he had a, a younger wife and, um, you know, even just based on his mother's age, it seemed like he was like a 40 year old, some odd person living right. back at home again to in my mind. Um, but again, maybe they just got the description wrong. I don't, I don't remember, um, you know, <laughs> that, that particular um funk the um you know what's funny about this movie in particular is i i not funny but like interesting is the way like when robert duvall leaves the police precinct at first he goes and meets uh defense's mother he meets different people he has this very disarming way about him and and it comes to a full realization on the pier at the end of the movie when he goes and he finds this man and his family and he can, you know, has popcorn and he's, tr- he's actually, he has this way of sort of relating to them and yeah. talking to them in a sense of sort of talking them down from their craziness. And he even gets him to put the gun down. Well, he, he hands the daughter popcorn and then the daughter goes to share popcorn with, with defense and he puts his gun down for a quick second. And it's just this very cool delivery. And it's this like almost father figure-esque. Yeah, no, it's neat because he doesn't come out there and go like, look, I'm a cop. I'm a I'm a um, negotiator. Let's talk this through. He kind of comes off as like, hey, I'm just an older man who happens to be out here on the pier. Yeah. And he plays it really like low key and like, you know, kind of gives him like that, like life advice and whatever. And it, it, it literally, as you just said, but also kind of figuratively like disarms yeah. defense for the moment and kind of like, you know, cause at first, like he, he kind of has like the same reaction he's been having to everybody else that day, which is like, hey, I'm trying to have a private moment here with my family. You want to bug off sort of thing. But then as he's sort of like, Oh, you have a beautiful child. And like, you know, he, he sort of like disarms him and is able to kind of like get in there and get close and, and sort of, I, yeah, I, I actually love how this movie ended. And I don't know that there was any other way for this to end because I think, 
I think defense saw the writing on the wall. Like once he has that like character realization moment where he goes, wait a minute, I'm the bad guy. When did this happen? Sort of thing. He sort of knows like I'm the bad guy. I, I, I'm not going to prison. I need to die now, you know, sort of thing. And he even um, says that. He's like, I'm not going to want to see my kid grow up when I'm behind bars. Like he doesn't want yeah. to And that, so. you know, in fairness, like Robert Duvall is trying to like talk him off the wall at that point. He's trying to be like, come on, let's go meet these other officers. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll get this settled sort of thing. And he's like, no, he's like, he's like, I'm too smart for that. I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to see, you know, like have my wife, my daughter think less of me, whatever. Like, I think she's probably already going to think less given Mm -hmm. um, how things are. But no, I I gotta say like this movie, they just tied it up in a nice little bow at the end there. Um, And it's, it's not how you think in the beginning that this guy's going to, end up but no. it's kind of the only way that you can accept him ending up in the end yeah. like he's either got to get taken off to jail or he's got to die and i thought it was interesting that like you know robert duvall's gonna be like you know having to do like this 50 50 thing like uh, he's saying he has a gun i saw him drop his gun he might have another one and then he pulls out the wa- the blue water pistol from from earlier in the movie that the kids had and i'm just like oh geez and it's like you know he's going for like death by cop via that but it's almost another neat little character nod because it's like, what reason would this guy have had to take that water pistol with him? And it almost shows in his last moment, he's almost back to like his like kind of more light and normal self. You know what I mean? And he's looking at himself now as like, like I've brought justice to a bunch of people that have acted really terrible. And now that justice needs to come to me. You know what I mean? Sort of thing. Kind of that's how how I read it. You know what I mean? But just just a neat little bow to, to tie up the end of that movie. And then, you know, of course, like we said, you know, he goes over and um, talks with the wife. And like th- this is the this is the part that I thought was like out of a lot of things that, that seemed a little bit larger than life in this movie, that they have all these police and these news crews outside the gate, but also mothers and their children waiting to get into the girl's birthday party. You'd think they'd show up there and be like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, we're here. Yeah. And he's like, you know, she's like, I don't know what to do. It's my daughter's birthday. I don't know what to tell her. And he's like, let her have her birthday. Tell her tomorrow. You know? And I was like, maybe tell her in like five years, you know, she yeah. still seems pretty young to, to know about this. Just say daddy had to take a trip. <laughs> you know? Or like, why didn't you call the other moms? Just cancel the party. Like, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, hey, we're gonna have this little birthday party with the press hanging outside, and you know, a cop just got hauled off with blood on my back porch. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. It, it, I think that is where the, the the satire of the movie comes together, or like the the black comedy esque part of it. Um, yeah. You know, all in all, I I did enjoy this movie. I do think there are some plot holes and there's some missing pieces that I want to know about, but I think that was intentional. I don't know. Um, I never really checked out a, like a behind the scenes of this movie before, so I'm not, I couldn't tell you for sure. But I, I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. It's definitely was a good rewatch. Yeah, uh, and I honestly I can't say much more than I already have. Uh, super enjoyable. It was a lot of fun watching this after all the years because I haven't seen that in a long, long time. Um, and in some ways, I still think it really holds up. It's definitely the most orange movie I've watched in a while. <laughs> they were really doing some serious, yes. like anytime they were indoors, it was like serious orange color grading. And it was funny because I, to your point, I think they were trying to do that to like portray like a heat and a feeling yeah. of heat. Um, and like that, that was also hot. like, yeah. you know, like stifling him and, and and adding to it. It was interesting. I felt a lot of the outdoor scenes weren't color corrected to that direction. Yeah. 
Um, it was kind of like more just a neutral sort of thing, but it was an interesting thing from that respect. But um, super enjoyable. So uh, if you did not watch it uh, before um, uh, having seen it with us, I'm pretty sure I saw I ended up finding it somewhere else, but I think it is streaming right now, I think on HBO. No, it wasn't. I couldn't find it. Let me look where I where I saw it. Or I might just be lying. Oh, it's on it's on Hoopla. <laughs> I think that's yeah, maybe that's where I saw it. Hoopla. I I've not used the Hoopla app, so I don't know if that requires a subscription or or what the deal is, but um find it and and check it out. It's definitely worth um a rewatch uh and I I think the last thing I would say about this is it's poking fun at things that were relevant then. I'd be curious if and maybe, you know, we've done this a couple of times with a couple of the other movies. So maybe we'll do this now as our sort of final thing to, to end our show out on here. If they were going to make a falling down 2023, I think they could touch on a lot of the sort of milestone things that we have going on in our society right now. You know, sort of like the way we're reevaluating how we approach things in a daily basis, how we approach culture and society and things like that. I think they could definitely do a newish updated version of this. So uh, again, let's, let's do the, like, if we were like casting a falling down today, like, like, like what would you, what would you do for this type of uh, movie to, to make it like modernized? Okay. I mean, I, I thought about this a little bit and this is, this might seem nuts. But there's elements of this movie that feel like um, a segment of the population that people, you know, are a little bit extreme in their beliefs and ideologies and and political views, um, and you know, the type of people that that want to quote unquote take back the country, if you will, or something. Um, you know, there's, there's a story in there that you could tell this movie in a modern day setting and it, it not come off as political or, or, uh, you know, one-sided in that regard, it's going to be real hard, really, really hard, especially with, you know, gun violence in, in our society and our culture right now. So it's, it's tricky. That being said, if I were to cast somebody to play this kind of character in this day and age, you know who I would actually look at is somebody like like a Miles Teller or somebody like uh, like Andrew Garfield because he can he's just so likable and both of them are so likable and to see them have play a character that could do this sort of a weird turn in their behavior would be so compelled because you're just you're captivated by them as actors and, and they're charming and to see them yeah. make, make a turn into a darker way would be very interesting i think i can see that yeah i can see that um i think i have a couple people in my head that i think would be interesting to do like a, a like a kind of a modern variation on this and sort of dealing with some of the stuff going on one we talked about earlier uh popped into my head is michael b jordan Ooh. I think could could do a really interesting like version of this because um you've seen it in some of his movies. He's got like a very like everyday person kind of feel in some cases. Then he also has like a real edge to him. You know, you kind of see 
like let's say like the killmonger end of of like his acting kind of come out when he starts to sort of like break bad and mm-hmm. and kind of go um towards the end of this um another guy that popped in my head um and I don't know if if uh you would know him from uh or where you would know him from but um his name is um Riz Ahmed and um he was in this uh TV show um a couple of years back uh that was on HBO and I'm trying to think of the name of it um where he played essentially like a like a taxi driver and sort of thing and like he was really compelling in that series. The leftovers? Um, was it was it the leftovers or No, no. It it was like about him and it was kind of like a mini series. Oh, uh, uh the the night the night of or something the night like of, that. Yeah, the, the night I of think it's night called before. something like that. Yeah. Um so so I think he would be like kind of a cool actor for it. Um I think he could kind of give like a really unique kind of like spin on it. And probably the last person that I had in my head, just because I thought it might be like another kind of, I was trying to like rack my brain real quick on like who would be interesting, like character actors that could do something fun with this. And like Tom Hardy could be kind of like a neat one, you know, like I think he'd kind of like give it kind of a cool, um, he's another one that can kind of like go like very placid and very big um, back and forth, you know? So I think that might be kind of my, uh, my trio to, to possibly uh, cast in, in, in this spot. And I could even see some of them as defense and as like the detective, like right. trying to crack the case. You know what I mean? So I, I, I feel it could go back and forth between them. I don't know if you noticed this. The very like when uh, the d- detective kills defense on the pier, the music that plays is very like you know noir cop drama kind yeah. of music. Yeah, and it, and it was like that was what the I. I because there's not a lot of music throughout the whole movie. It's it's just really like just what's happening. And, and but like it stuck out to me was that the way that they they bookended it with that sort of music and and like it is interesting. The way yeah, it's I, I think it's exactly you're right with like the the noir sort of thing, and it has like that kind of like if I recall incorrectly, like sort of like that like sort of like a sad saxophone type yes, of blues thing, and it's like. Of, yeah. It's like, you know, in a way, like the hero of the movie just got killed, even though he turned out to be a villain in the end, you know, so like you kind of have that like. uh, Not bittersweet, but like a little bit of like a sadish kind of twist to to what he turned out to be and how he ultimately had to go down, you know, so yeah, just kind of interesting. So what do we have coming up for April? All right. So April, these are the movies that I pulled from the list and you could check it if you wanted to add anything else. But I thought that there was probably nothing that was going to stand up to these three. So I'm going to pitch doing Indecent Proposal, Cop and a Half and super favorite of mine, The Sandlot. So I don't know. I mean, there's there's some other stuff in the list. I just don't think that they're going to get voted in versus those three. (laughs) And I think like Sandlot's at something like number four five or six in that list. So it's sort of like trying to use like the, the handful of the couple at the top there. I would say that's a pretty good list. I, I would, I would agree with those selections. I couldn't tell you what they're going to vote for. <laughs> it, it could go any direction. I think. That's, yeah. That's why I think it's tough. Cause like, there's a lot of people of our age that have a very fond remembrance of the Sandlot. I feel like I still watch that movie every oh, like yeah. two to three years. Um, you know, I show it to my kids or if it's like on, I'll pop it on or whatever. Um, Cop and a half. I have not seen in a long, long time, but I remember it. Be, uh, that's Burt Reynolds. That Burt Reynolds. I was going to say I was, it was either him or Tom Selleck. I couldn't remember which. 
Um, and, and kind of like, you know, got like that sort of cute, you know, type of, type of thing with it. And then Indecent Proposal is, um, dark, but it's, it's another one of these ones like Basic Instinct that was like kind of a big product of the time it was in. And a lot of people, you know, it was a real like talking point movie. So I don't know. I'm really curious to see where the, where the poll goes on these, uh, on these selections this month. So we shall see. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell them how to get a hold of us? Sure. So if you'd like to chat with us about the show, get in touch with us via our social media channels, go to Box Office 30 on Facebook and Twitter or Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y on Instagram. Our website, too, which is boxoffice30.com. We also want to thank Mickey and Jason of the Retro Network for hosting us on our show and being so patient with us and we actually got one out this month. <laughs> two this month, folks. Two, if you think about it, which is kind of crazy. Um, and, you know, we just we love people at the Retro Network. They have a, a really cool community to check out. Great content on there. Uh, you can go to our Tee Public store, get some merch. I've been saying forever that I need to get myself some more stuff. Um, and I, you keep saying you need to get more stuff. I keep saying I need to add more art. Between the two of us, we'll get it done at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, clickety clackety will be a shirt. Yes, for you. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but as always, listen. You know, check out our everything. You know, thanks again for everybody. You know, we enjoy having you be a part of our community, and we just enjoy being able to talk to each other about movies and have a great time together. Yeah, make so, sure you tell your friends. Uh, make sure you throw us a, a review out there, like on the iTunes of the world and things like that. It helps us to get in front of more people. Or Listenership is slowly going up over time and it makes every uh, time Mike and I get together to do this very worthwhile. So very big thank you to everyone who listens. So we've been saying for a while that we want to get some some merch out there. We have some really cool Box Office 30 stickers and I'm going to come up with a game for April of some sort. that We'll post on our social media and we'll pick a winner and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll try to figure out of the three movies of April give us a fun fact about it and then we'll pick which is the best fun fact and we'll send that person a box office 30 sticker there you How's go. That that's sound? a fun idea sure All that right, works cool. <laughs> you know we haven't done those cards in a while where are those cards um i am not giving you a choice because i figure this movie tonight was certainly more in the realm of action type of movie than comedy even though we just said it's a set a satiric sort of film but i we haven't done a lot of action in a while so i thought i'd uh, dive in on these so um Bring it on. <laughs> I think this first card is like super easy. So you're probably going to get floated two points here really quick. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, uh, Jason of the Retro Network a while back sent us uh, the big movie quiz set of cards. So we've been going through these and I asked Michael um, six questions off of three cards and see how many out of six he can get. Sometimes he knocks it out of the park, sometimes not so much. Tonight, I think you've got at least a good lead in. What is the name of the main character played by Keanu Reeves in The Matrix? Neo. There you go. (laughs) Mr. Anderson. Yes, right. Which actor starred as the titular character in Machete? Wait. In in in, (laughs) or Machete, I should say, but he pronounces it Machete. Oh, Oh, Danny Trejo. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Oh god, this is these are so easy tonight. Which actor stars as Superman in Man of Steel? Henry Cavill. Three for three. Which actress starred as the titular character in G.I. Jane? Demi Moore. Jeez, I feel like 
<laughs> These are all just who is the character questions. Uh, yeah, you're going to get six for six tonight. I guarantee it. Okay. Which actor tragically died during the filming of The Crow? Brandon Lee. And for our last question, which there's no way you're getting this wrong. Which film by M. Night Shyamalan stars Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson as unlikely superheroes? Unbreakable. Jeez. Throw the oh. action pile away. Yeah, those, the, the talk about uh, all-time easy questions. The, that was all, uh, there wasn't a, a curveball to be found there tonight. Uh, well, there you go. All right, well, that's going to do it for us, folks. Um, we will see you next month. Please do stop by our Twitter and uh, check out our poll in the coming days and, uh, you know, give us a like somewhere out in the world. Otherwise, we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, friends. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.